0: Hey there, you're tuning in to Loki by Oki, our easygoing sessions for hotel professionals where we chat about industry trends, issues, and solutions. Hello, everyone, all the listeners. Uh, Here is another amazing episode of Loki by Oki, and we're joined by such an amazing guest today, Uh, (laughs) a fellow founder that I uh, had the pleasure of meeting together with his uh, co-founder, Richard some nine years ago, at the Good Hotel in London, we met for the first time. No,
1: we met in Amsterdam. Did we meet in Amsterdam? Yeah, when that boat was still here, and then they slept. Oh, yeah. To sorry, London. sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, in
0: <laughs> Amsterdam, indeed. And we've kept in touch ever since, and and kind of uh, grown our babies and and hotel technology companies uh, side by side, and become really great partners. And I contacted um, our our guest, which of course is Matt, uh, CEO of Muse, because. I think you are so incredible because you are so uh, driven and ambitious, but also very open and transparent. And I wanted to have a topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you just said you had no filter. (laughs) But I wanted to talk about, because when you're on LinkedIn or on social media, you see all the glory and all the good stuff that is happening. But I think as a founder, the journey is sometimes uh, the the destination. And we have a lot of cool stories on stuff that has happened in the back end, And uh, from both of our sides, many learnings uh, that we take from big things that have been huge fails, but also huge successes. So yeah, super happy that you're here. Welcome my friend, Matt from Muse. Thank you for having me. Hmm. Hey Matt, so um, maybe uh, to start off with something around entrepreneurship. So Mark Andreessen, this uh, brilliant investor, he says uh, that entrepreneurship is a mix of two emotions. Either you're in terror, or you're in euphoria. Yeah, <laughs> and <as a laughs> I founder, recognize that emotion. <laughs> how have you learned to deal with a roller coaster that is entrepreneurship over over the years?
1: Like, it's funny because I've 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 grown up in hotels and and in the traditional hotel structure, and there you think you work really hard, and I don't want to dismiss that work that goes on there. But when you have your own business and you have people on the payroll, um, and every deal makes a difference. If you win it or you lose it. Um, it is genuinely terrifying in the beginning when you can't pay payroll, when you don't have money in the bank account and you're figuring that out. And then you, on that same day, you win a massive deal. And it's this, this buy emotions that you have simultaneously about the business and trying to build this thing. And it is incredibly terrifying, but also very gratifying, like to get to the end of the week or to get to these key moments when you look back and you very rarely do that because you just keep your head down and you keep working. But sometimes you stop or someone says, like, Matt, look at what we've done mm. and then you stop and you look at it and you're like, it's actually pretty cool. yeah, <laughs> And it's those moments when you stop to think what's what's happening that you actually have an impact that it isn't just about making money, it's, it's it's having an impact on the industry. and when you when you stop and and look at the change you're making, those are the moments that make it worth. yeah, uh, I, I, I always look
0: at it like uh, when you see your team members growing, and they are and, and like you, you go through something and you 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 have feedback and say D- do it like this or whatever and you see people develop and then all of a sudden things are happening around you that you have no uh, like yeah. uh, input in and it's just done perfectly in a better way than you could have ever imagined yeah that to me is like the best feeling like ever
1: like some of these people have come in like our our last CTO who left after 10 years he was a student when he joined us, and he scaled that team to two hundred developers. Oh, wow! And just to see him, just observe him growing—it's—it's it's incredibly powerful, and that I can have some piece of that success—it's—it's it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, I don't know what my maybe I held him back. Uh, <laughs> that's my thinking, but yeah, it's fun.
0: Hey, uh, so we've we started the com- our companies like nineteen years ago. What are first of all for all the listeners? How would you de- define like if you if you broke it down into some sub stages? What what stages have you gone through since
1: then? Like it's funny when you now after ten years you go to these startup classes and then they have a chart that shows all these stages. and like, yeah, we pretty much gone through those stages. Like the first one is trying to build a minimum viable product, mm-hmm. um, you know, that a few customers will accept as a beta and that they'll test. And then once you start to you get 10 customers that are actually using it and are happy. You need to reach that new mo- moment when you start to actually sell it, have an actual sales team instead of me and Richard running around with the laptop in total love with trying to get people to buy it. So you get that stage of, right, we now need a actual sales p- sales team and a website that, that, that works. Um, and then you reach the next point when it's like th- that, like you reach a new segment, for example, in that business, and then you really scale and then you get investments. And yeah. when you get investment, suddenly it professionalizes the business uh, significantly. So most of the stages that you see on these slides, they're, they're real, even though in the moment you don't, you don't think about that. Like yeah. you just run as fast as you can. Yeah. And then in hindsight, 10 years later, you look at a slide like, yeah, that's actually pretty much the journey that we've gone through.
0: And, and if you think back at yourself at the MVP stage, Matt with a lot less gray hair. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, 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 would you say, what would you say to young Matt? Like, what would be your recommendations about like really important uh, learnings from from that
1: specific stage? Like in the early days, it was mostly money issues, right? We 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 couldn't get an investment because we're we're a B two B boring business and no one was interested in what we were doing. We were solving a really tough challenge, and it was was, really was it was hard. it still PMS in those very early it days? It was, yeah, okay. yeah, and 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 people were like, drop that and just do the really easy light thing that can scale fast. Build the TikTok of hotels or whatever. And we're like, no, no, this is a problem that needs to get solved. And we're we're here to do that. So in the, in the beginning, it's hard because investors are like, well, this, this doesn't make any sense to us. And we're like, no, no, it makes complete sense. So we believed in ourselves. But you're dealing with cash flow issues mostly. Mm. And that's the worst piece because you need to pay salaries. And that's probably the hardest thing. And in that moment, I've had many, many sleepless nights. And I think in hindsight, I've learned there's always a solution for everything. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have sleepless nights anymore about cash flow or other things. Um I still wake up and I lie there for an hour thinking about something that's really bothering me but much less because I know I'll figure it out. I'm yeah. smart enough. Yeah. It, whatever problem comes to me, my brain works in a way where normally I'll find a solution even though in the moment I don't know it. What what what's a creative solution you had to do when you had no more cash? I don't know if I should share some of these things. <laughs> share something that's okay to share. <laughs> like we were always like say, you know in the beginning, we didn't sometimes have cash for weeks. Um, yeah. so we would be like, well, something went wrong with the bank and like the oh, you didn't get the money. So unfortunately in in the early days you do have to sometimes be creative about where you get it from um, and and your early team has to buy into the the, the long-term yeah. mission. I think and when you grow up like people when you're a 10-year-old company people you can't not pay people salaries like they expect it on a certain day and when you know last month we were a, a day late and suddenly panic erupted um and you know in the beginning we got away with murder almost which you just don't at a later stage and I think that was we had to get really creative around cash flow management and sometimes not paying suppliers on time, you know, holding back. You like, can get customers to prepay, maybe. Oh, oh, we've had that moment where yeah. we're like, well, why don't we get everyone to prepay? Like that's, if we can get 60% of our customers to prepay for the year, yeah. that will solve our cash flow issues. And we, com- uh, we completely went one way. And then, you know, two years later, we're like, you know, we've, basically discounted our product because we wanted to get the prepayments. So our average price has dropped, yeah. which also isn't a great thing because investors are like, that's not great. Yeah. So it, we've definitely had that
0: stage. Yeah. I can really rec- recognize myself into that. And, and you, you end up going from one stage to the next and you kind of, yeah, you, you basically turn between those two as, yeah. for as long as you need. Um, cool. Hey, um, h- how are you different as a CEO today, you think, compared to how you were 10 years ago?
1: Um, not much. I think at the core, I'm still who I am. And it's funny, we we hired a few years ago, uh, um, a guy, Bastian, who runs our operations team now on the sales side. And he worked with me at Hilton. And he's like, already back when you were a sales director at Hilton, you were never going to tell me what to do. You just like, figure it out. This is your goal. Go do it. And I don't really give detailed direction to people. I just trust that people are smart enough to figure it out. And then he came into Muse and he's like, you know, you said, I remember when you said that at Hilton to me and that kind of stuck with me and you really haven't changed that much. Like still today, Mm -hmm. I, you know, sometimes I micromanage, but often I can pull myself out of it and say, okay, this is what we have to do. You're smarter than I am. So you go figure it out. And I trust that you'll do the right thing. And if we fail, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll fix it somehow. So in that sense, I haven't dramatically changed. But I think my biggest thing is I know more than anyone about this business because I've yeah. been in it from day one. Yeah. And I know everything about every department. So I have way more context than I ever had before. And I think that's the really valuable thing for me today. i, I talking about
0: micromanaging. I feel like you're, you, I feel at least for myself, I need to micromanage when I feel like I cannot hold someone else accountable for doing something. So, like accountability for us is a really, really big thing, and like, yeah. I feel like something. Uh, many organizations struggle with. If there's this uh, really famous triangle of, uh, yeah, something I can't think of it, but like you have like uh, trust, and you need to be be able to have conflict yeah. that leads to accountability and eventually results. Like, what are what are great learnings from from you and from Muse on how to drive accountability from each other? I uh, I wish I
1: had the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, this is. The word that I use so much, I'm like, who's the accountable person? Yeah. And because our org is now, we're 800 people, and we're hybrid mm. and cross-functional, and it gets really confusing about who should carry the responsibility because it's a shared responsibility, but you want to point out that one person that yeah. I can look at, you're like, you take this home. And it's a struggle still today at the scale that we are, and most companies struggle with it. That's probably the one of the biggest challenges that any modern company struggles with, but we engage in it. Like we lean into that conversation. So we we do an exercise with our leadership team where we call it the elephant in the room and everyone has to ride their elephant. The thing that we should be talking about, but we're not, like we're brushing over things and like, no, stick it on the board and then we vote and then we talk about that thing. And cross-functionality and accountability is the one that keeps coming up, yeah. um, which is great because at least we're leaning into the conversation and we're, we're getting better at it, but we're definitely not great at it we are now
0: starting from the leadership team down that everyone has to have a personal uh, completely objectively measurable KPI one or two that they are the are completely responsible for over time nice. and then once you've defined that per leadership member I, I, my my view is that that will trickle down to the rest of the organization but we have to be hel- holding each other accountable on the top level but nice. how else can we assume that the rest of the organization yeah. will and once you have those defined, I think we can then start to say goals. So say marketing is responsible for SQLs. Okay, that that's very clear. That's what that head of marketing should do. And then you set that goals that that person is. So that's different from OKRs, but then personal. Yeah, like
1: of. it's actually last night we had a long discussion with a, with one of our leadership teams about OKRs and and how do they compare to KPIs mm-hmm. and our long-term goals. So we have a, a two-year strategy, and then we have KPIs that are consistent throughout that two years that we will always look at. And then the OKRs are like, right, this one KPI has gone off the rails, or it's actually we could do way better in this KPI. So let's use the OKRs to steer yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, and that's the theory. So. I wish that it worked that beautifully at Muse, <laughs> but we, when we look back at last year, when we made some OKR decisions, actually it really drove the whole team in a direction yeah. that we, it wouldn't have gone into if we would just looked at KPIs. Yeah. So the OKR angle is an important one.
0: I fully agree. Fully agree. This is like the maybe second year that we're doing it, and I can see how we're making incremental improvements. Yeah. And I'm just so convinced. So for any entrepreneur or one entrepreneur that is listening. It is definitely worthwhile like going through, and the first couple of quarters you're
1: doing, it, it's going to be a mess. You're supposed to fail, apparently. Yeah. that's what I've heard, <laughs> and we failed for three years so far, so we're doing well.
0: Yeah. And hey, Matt, what is the what is the one thing that has been most instrumental in in the success of your company? I think.
1: I think having a, a founder Richard that you just get on with like a house on fire because you share the the the, the, the challenging times and yeah. the success and you can call someone about the challenges and you don't feel like you're all alone. And honestly, without Richard, I would not have built the business to what it is today. And it's the same for him. Yeah. So like, I, I think that has been really, really pivotal. Um, and he is out there reading the world and the internet and he challenges me to keep up with him, which is is really incredible because I don't naturally gravitate to read uh, a huge amounts. Um, or read beyond SaaS, software as a service or hotels because yeah. those are my passions and he'll read about the most bizarre topics and then he'll pull <laughs> yeah. me into that conversation and it pushes me to 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 just get out of my comfort zones
0: yeah but, but i think richard is really good at making people enthusiastic yeah uh, uh, and i think that, that he's like a labrador puppy so <laughs> <instead of> that <laughs> i think of him <laughs> but it's just it's really enjoyable to listen to him yeah and uh, when i think about oki like starting any company, you have to have the ability to make people enthusiastic about what you do, to get investors, to get a team around, to get customers, partners. And a learning that I thought about as I was walking with my baby and kind of uh, thinking about this uh, podcast is you should always just be yourself. And I remember, especially in the early days, feeling so insecure. I was always trying to please everyone and be someone for everyone. But at some point, I met this wise person who told me, Eric, there are always going to be three types of people. Those that love you, those that don't like you, and those that don't understand you. And if you try to be someone else, you have those three camps there too. Yeah. That for me was such an aha moment of just feeling really confident in, oh, well, screw that, and I'm just going to be myself. Nice. And let those that love you... Uh, I love uh, that. Yeah, right? I love that, yeah. And I think that that's really a critical one uh, for anyone, huge learning for me, that if you want to drive people to be enthusiastic, you have to it has to be genuine.
1: But like and I, I think I look at a culture at Muse and and me and Richard, we deeply live it. Like we we love the business we're building, but we also love the people that are in the business and we mm-hmm. want to protect them, but we also want them to grow. We want their mindsets to open up. So we really embrace conversations around diversity and inclusion and whilst not everyone loves those conversations, I, I think it's so critical that we have a very, very diverse workforce that represents the customers that we're, we're targeting. Yeah. Um, so we really embrace the culture and it's not like building a business based on metrics. You have to have a human angle to it. And and we have really strong emotional intelligence. Like we can sense when something's off and then we lean into that. And we don't just push like the people leader to, to deal with these things. Yes, they're an important player, but it's us. Like we set the culture at yeah. the top down. And
0: I mean, a reason why you have transparency as a as a value is probably because you and Richard are transparent people, I would imagine.
1: I think so. Like, I have no filter whatsoever. I'm like, <laughs> ask me any question, I'll answer it. Because I think if I give you all the context, that that kind of alleviates me from having to make the decision. So I genuinely want everyone to read the PL and question, like, ask smart questions about it, because it means you've actually looked at the numbers and see if they made sense to you. So we put everything on a shared drive. Everything yeah. is shared. We have an all hands every week. You ask me anything and I'll probably answer. And you answer share that. your roadmap. Everything. Yeah. We long long before I think many
0: companies were even thinking about sharing the roadmap.
1: Like we stuck our API on our website, right? It's very early on mm. when our industry was completely closed off and and we had written the API the, the way that the developers could integrate with our system. And we're like, well, why wouldn't we put it on the website? Like, we can only get people to integrate, which means we don't have to integrate, but they can integrate to us. It's great. We save time. Yeah. So it, it was such a no-brainer. But most companies in our industry still, if you if you were to take a company name and you search for API um, with that company name, you just won't find it. Yeah. Um. And, and I just... Like stick it on the website. If 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 I'm not comfortable putting it on the website, then let's talk about that. Like why not? Like how can we change it so that we can put it on the website? Like we we have pricing wide open on our website, which no one else does. And I just think it's a it's a good thing to to spark it. Hey Matt, what's the what's the one product
0: or feature that you believe the most in that was a huge failure that is no
1: never used? <laughs> <Ooh>. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So very early on, we um everyone said, Oh, ditch the PMS thing, just do the online check-in. Okay. Um, and just keep the old infrastructure. And so we basically dropped well, we stopped developing the PMS for six months and we just said, let's just build that feature, and then we can just have hotels import guest profiles and email addresses, and we invite them. And it just never works if you don't natively solve the, the problem. So we 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 spent six months building that and 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 it just People were not buying just that because they're like, so now I have to manually take an Excel sheet out of my old legacy system, import that, then guests go and check in online, and then I have to go back and then export that and import that. And it was just such a convoluted solution because we listened to investors. And (laughs) in hindsight, I'm like, we really shouldn't have listened. We knew what was right. Um, But sometimes, yeah, money does... Push you in the wrong direction, but,
0: but so, so other than listening to not not listening to investors who maybe doesn't know about hospitality.
1: Yeah. What 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 did you learn from from that, and and how are you now so amazing at building the right things? So, I don't deeply get involved in product decisions. I I deeply care about the problem we're solving, mm. and I think the the biggest shift we've made is asking about the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, so ask why five times yeah. instead of just once. And then, you know, they'll brush over and like just build us this feature. And we're like, you know, but what are you trying to do? And often um, someone will ask us for, could you build this report? And generally the reason why you have reports is because the system doesn't do it automatically and you need to check something. So why are you checking something? Like, could we automate that? Maybe, yeah. maybe that's the problem. So yeah. asking why five times has been a real game changer for us. And. Yeah. Some customers will be like, just build us these little features and some of them will engage with us on why. So one of our my favorite customers, Strawberry, they have really engaged with us. And they're like, can we stand at the reception desk and just see what what they're doing and why this is an issue? Mm. And then we'll fix it. And they've really embraced our product team. So we're flying in and out of Oslo nonstop with our product teams just to experience what happens in a hotel. And then we build a real solution for it rather than just building a feature that we're asked to build.
0: Yeah, I I love that so much.
1: But I also think it's it's not the fault of the customers
0: when they say, can you build X? But if you really understand what they want to achieve we think about this all day long. So we can yeah. just think of, here's another solution. It has the same uh, output. Yeah. And they are su- going to be super happy with that. But if I talk to old Eric, like uh, or young Eric, <laughs> <laughs> then I would have just taken it at face value. No, they're asking for that yeah. feature and we're, we're going to build it. You're not questioning it in and, the beginning.
1: And I've been told that not by, by Richard or other hoteliers. It's, I've been told that by the developers who are questioning yeah. whether they're wasting their time building something that they know they're going to have to rebuild because they're building the wrong thing. And, Actually, the developers are sometimes the smartest person in the room who are like well I don't want to wait I don't want to do this twice so let me just ask a few questions about why you're asking me to build this yeah and they really sparked that culture
0: yeah we, we, we started giving out uh, um, like the, that everyone in the team can stay they, they have to stay in oki okay hotels they have to book direct <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and then they have to report back on the experience but it's also very important I think you uh, we started uh, the, we built this product that we launched with you guys with amazing integration for front desk upselling. But uh, we learned very quickly you cannot sell at the front desk if you have never seen the rooms, and that just uh, made me think. Well, so many people in Oki are selling or working at Oki, but have never stayed in a hotel that's yeah. using Oki. You know, yeah. it's
1: crazy, right? Yeah. So then immediately try to put that in place. Like we we try and make sure that all of our employees, we travel a lot because we've got offices all over the place, so we do a lot of offsites, and we try and always do that at Muse Hotel or even at a non Muse Hotel, but then actually get the feedback out of out of people. Like, yeah. how was that experience for you? And 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 but it's hard. Like getting a developer behind a reception desk, it's a scary exercise. But when when you get them there, I remember when I took our new CTO Peppa um, to Germany, where we had a big hotel, and I was just like, you know, just listen to the stories of these the, the challenges. And at some point, he said like, "Wow, that's that's awful. That that's the experience <laughs> they have." And yeah. I was like, "Yes, it is." But actually, you know, the system is great, but actually if we can fix these few small things, we've made that life so much easier. And for him to have seen that in real life, it it just, you know, it was so valuable because he now can fight for that customer in front of his teams. Yeah. Hey, uh, Matt, we we talked about a bunch of the different things.
0: What about, uh, what have you learned about learning? So how do you look at failures and successes? And do do you like to look at them similarly or differently? how do
1: you learn at Muse and how, how, how have you made learning a real like cultural thing? So we're uh, avid readers at Muse, even though I said I don't read that much <laughs> proactively, but there's a real culture that we stimulate about reading and sharing articles and we have reading channels and reading clubs. So we really have a culture where we're like, everyone should continuously learn mm-hmm. um, and we, we push people to read and to debate what they've read. Um, we believe in conflict. I think conflict is generally a good thing as long as you have it in a positive way. Like, no. um it reaches a better conclusion and don't just accept what someone says just question it and because me and richard we do that like we disagree in front of everyone else but in a in a respectful way yeah. um, it builds a culture enough disagree um, and sometimes i like last we were in a leadership meeting and I, I just disagreed with what was being decided but everyone else said no this is the right thing to do and i said fine I disagree, but I will commit to follow through on this with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the important thing: debate, 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 and then yeah. make a decision and then move forward.
0: But what exactly what you're saying there? We have to reference this in the in the podcast. It's exactly that triangle. That yeah. you, that's why you need the conflict. Because yeah. even if you disagree, you agree to disagree. Exactly. And then you you feel hurt, right?
1: Yeah. There we go. Oh, <laughs> it's a real bell. <laughs>
0: So, so that was uh, the the first part. Thank you so, Matt. Thank you so much, Matt. This was uh, really amazing. We could talk for hours, and uh, let's make sure we, we get to sit together again. Uh, as the as the last piece of of uh, the Loki by Oki podcast, we have an amazing little uh, part which is about the shameless plug. So the floor is yours. Uh, plug anything
1: uh, that that you would like to uh, to talk about. Oh, there's so much. Like, so I will not plug like directly our product. I think. Um, 10 years into this business, I am still shocked that we're talking about cloud native versus cloud hosted. Um, and it, it it is genuinely the reason why some hotels do so much better than others. And, you know, don't accept cloud hosted. It isn't, it's basically you've lifted something from a, an on-prem solution into the cloud to say, yes, we're a cloud. But actually it it doesn't change the way that you engage with the system, the way that the APIs work, the way that you can have native solutions for other stakeholders in the system. And 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 it is genuine the conversation that we still have with hoteliers. So I think if you are looking to move your platforms, make sure that the core piece is cloud native. Um, and a, a how does a hotelier know that? Like um, by by asking. Like okay. you'd have to know. Like you you do have to know um, that it's, it's it's cloud native. You can look at the API and you can determine whether it's a legacy. Like it, if it feels really old, it's probably uh, lifted into the cloud from from something on prem. Um, whereas the the more modern APIs, it just I can read them and I'm not technical. I just open up the API and I start reading what data I can pull or push into the system. Um, but that's the really critical piece because yes, you can integrate with a cloud system that's not native. It's just going to be really, really painful and you're going to constantly be blocked somewhere. So I think the, the in order to change this industry at the core, everyone should be on a cloud native solution. So I think that's probably my, my biggest pitch because I just wish that hoteliers would ask that question yeah. and care deeply about what the answer is. Nice. From, from my side, also
0: uh, in the same realm of how we, how we can change our industry, you need to have partners that are willing to take time out of their uh, agendas to work together on new projects that have never seen the day of light and really truly innovate. And for us, Muse has always been such a partner. Nice. Uh, so when we, when we, nine months ago, started doing all these interviews with 50, 60 hotel chains about how can we make front desk upselling better, uh, we knew that we needed a partner where where the solution was somewhat integrated into the check-in flow and we uh we immediately contacted you guys and without any hesitation we we built it and there were a lot of struggles and and uh, bumps on that road but we got it ready for for the amazing muse unfold that happened here in amsterdam and uh i'm just really proud of of being your uh, your your friend and partner because Thanks to you, I think uh, you have created a company that is open to such partnerships and we are now seeing that we are driving in enormous value. And uh, I mean, our customers love love that combined solution. So thanks so much.
1: And, and the thing is, I didn't know you guys were building that, but you had gotten so close to our product team that naturally our yeah, teams worked together. Yeah. So when you presented this to me at Unfold, I was like, this is incredible. So it's inside our product, you built the solution. <laughs> yeah. How did you get through that? Because I've never been able to do anything inside our product, like with an external partner. And it's because our teams love you, and you your teams love ours, and and I think that's the, the the power of it. Yeah. Hey Matt,
0: that's it. Uh, I mean, as conclusion, I uh, I'm normally very good at co- at uh, concluding and, and summarizing, but I think we talked about everything from A to Z here, <laughs> but uh, got a very very good understanding into kind of the the life of an entrepreneur, and and from two founders who love hospitality uh, as many uh, as uh, as the people that love it the most. Uh, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Uh, and uh, we are so happy to have you in Amsterdam. Also, I know I get to
1: bike home now, like (laughs) for lunch, and then have bread. Like it's it's such a Dutch thing. I love it. (laughs) Don't forget the cheese. Of course.
0: All right. See you, Matt. Bye. Bye.